Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. It feels like everything is falling apart. It feels like everything is so crazy now. And nation is fall is against nation and, and and kingdoms against kingdoms and fathers against mothers and mothers against daughters and fathers against sons and brothers against sisters and is crazy now. And in this crazy, mixed up, cracked up, backward world that we call earth, in this world that calls wrong right and right wrong, God always has a ram in the thicket I have provided. Always, always, always. And I think of, when I think of I have provided, of course you think of too, don't you? Moses just about to kill his only son Isaac. And God says, stop, Jehovah Jireh, I have provided. God always has a remnant. Say amen. God always has someone. God is always working on someone. That's why children's church is so important. Uh-huh. That's why children's play is important. Because God's always working. And I honestly do think, listen, I think that if we could get them involved in church and get them close to Jesus when they're three, four, five, six, seven, bring them up in church, have your babies, mommies, and the next week come to church and put them in the nursery. They're going to be all right. I know, you know, you know, when you first had a baby, when you first have a baby, you don't want to separate from the baby. You know what I mean? I know how you feel. You, you have a little baby, you don't want to separate from the baby because you're attached to the baby and you don't want to leave the baby. So some, some of y'all don't even come to church for about four months. And, and <laughs> the baby's nine years old. Where you been? Raising my child. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Something ain't right about that. But I, th- I think if we get them when they're young and, and, and raise them in the things of the Lord, I think we have a whole lot, lot less problems when they get 17, 18, 19, 20. I think, I, I think we won't have to build bigger prisons and we won't have to have so many after-school programs and so many, you know, youth centers where we got to keep them active and keep them busy. Don't get me wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with those things, but I think that we need to get them. Why can't we get them at church? That's why I don't understand why we have to have the children's church plea. Tiffany, I'm trying to help you out. Why are we trying to have the children's church plea? If you got children, you should be serving in the children's ministry. I don't see no problem with that. If you got kids, you need to be down there. 
Get them when they're young. Get them, teach them the Bible. Teach them Bible verses. That's why the Bible studies are important. Men's group and women's group is important because you don't know if that someone is currently being worked on by God. You don't know if that someone is currently working as a bus driver or that someone is currently sitting at a computer or that someone that God's going to use is currently driving a truck or that someone is working in the hood or that someone is working as a shoe salesman. 1858, a school shoe clerk gave his life to the Lord. His name was D.L. Moody, who became an evangelist. And he led a guy to the Lord named Frederick B. Meyer. Frederick B. Meyer was preaching on a college campus and led J. Wilbur Chapman to the Lord. Chapman was working at the YMCA and gave Billy Sunday a job. Billy Sunday held a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they held another revival and brought in a guest speaker whose name was Mordecai Ham. In the crowd of Mordecai Ham's revival was Billy Graham, who heard the gospel and gave his life to Christ. You don't know who God is calling. You don't know. And, and you might see a nobody, but God sees somebody who could be used to teach everybody about the only body, Jesus, who could save anybody. I'm glad I don't have to say that again. <laughs> this is one service tonight. In verse 1, God says to, to, to the greatest prophet, stop mourning, get back to the Father's business. Get your horn and fill it with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, obviously, he's talking about going to anoint who, saints? David or David. So now we're introduced to David for the first time, although we don't have his name mentioned yet, but we know who we're talking about. Did you know that there is more written about David in the scriptures than any other Old Testament character? Abraham has 14 chapters. Joseph has 13 chapters. Jacob has 11 chapters. Moses has 40 chapters dedicated to him. There are 66 chapters in the Old Testament about the life of David. There are 57 New Testament references to David. King David's name is referenced more than a thousand times in the Bible. That's more than any other human in Scripture. So God said, Samuel, go to Jesse and take the horn of oil. But note, he really doesn't tell Samuel what's happening. Although Samuel might be getting a little bit excited because he understands oil. And he knows it represents anointing. Maybe he's thinking it's probably time to go find a new king. And God said, go. And Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears that he's going to kill me? Now, I can understand Samuel's fear in verse 2. There's no doubt that Saul would consider it treason to go over to David. Are you listening? Samuel says, Lord, Saul is always in a bad mood. He's seven feet tall. He's not the kind of king that likes you anointing other kings in his kingdom. Not really sure why he would fear. God says, I'm sending you. Why would you fear? God said, I'm sending you. God said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Look at verse three. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. Then you will anoint the one that I name you. Now listen, this statement, you will anoint the one that I name you is an important statement in the story. Remember chapter 10, Samuel anointed Saul with oil. And I told you when you were being anointed in the Bible, nothing happened except you got oily. I told you that. 
I told you that biblical anointing was different than today's anointing. Today, if someone is sick and needs anointing, what do we do after church? We take somebody come to get a little little bottle of oil. Got probably got one up here. I don't have one right now, but I usually have one. <laughs> I look at a sermon illustration; it's not there. And um, we get that little bottle of oil and something. You know, we anoint and and we take a little dabs. You know, and we dab. You know, their head with oil. And if you're feeling really holy, you make a cross with the oil. You know, if you're feeling super. Then you just, you know, you just make a cross and you pray and you anoint. That's how we do it. But true biblical anointing, listen, y'all know, I told you, didn't I? They would take a container of oil and pour the whole container over your head. Biblical anointing was very messy. Your clothes were soaked. If we did it that way today, nobody would come for prayer for communion. (laughs) Or you need to bring a towel for anointing. Write it down. Psalm 33, 2. Psalm 133, 2. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. God told Samuel in verse 4, go and I will show you which one to anoint. So Samuel did what the Lord said and he went to Bethlehem. Now let me tell you something. This is kind of interesting, I thought at least. Bethlehem is extremely significant and important in the Bible. Bethlehem means, if you don't know, if you don't know, write it down. Bethlehem means house of bread. John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and he that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. It was a little town, yet so important. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So many things happen in Bethlehem as a preview of the main event. Rachel is buried in Bethlehem, Genesis 35. Ruth is redeemed in Bethlehem, Ruth 4. Naomi was from Bethlehem and then moved to Moab. David's mom and dad, Naomi and Ruth. King David was born in Bethlehem. David was anointed king in Bethlehem. We're going to see that in verse 1 and verse 13. David was the great-grandfather of Jesus. David was refreshed in Bethlehem. 2 Samuel 23, 14 through 17, David was held up in a cave as the Philistines had taken over Bethlehem. And David wanted some water from the well to refresh him in Bethlehem. The Messiah is prophesied as coming from where, saints? Bethlehem is important. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Very important. Interesting because the Bible tells us that Jesus is from everlasting and yet born in Bethlehem. Through 1,700 years of history, he set the stage, God, for the birth of Jesus. So Bethlehem is an important place in the scriptures. Samuel went to Bethlehem, dragging a heifer behind him. And the elders of the town trembled and said, Do you come peaceably? Or they asked Samuel, Hey, everything okay? They were afraid because this is the guy when he gets on his knees and prays, the mountain shakes. Just last week, he just hacked Agag to pieces and sent them home in a to-go box. <laughs> so, so they're afraid. So here comes Samuel dragging the heifer, and they say, you coming in peace? Verse 5, Samuel said, everything, everything's all right. Everything cool. I'm coming peacefully. I come and sacrifice to the Lord, sanctify yourselves and come with me. 
and he sanctified Jesse and his seven sons. And Jesse has eight sons. And David is the youngest. So Jesse gets the seven boys together. David is not even invited. Josephus tells us David is the youngest, probably around 10 or 15 years old at this time. So Jesse gets the boys together in verses 6 to 10. They come before the old prophet and they pass before him one by one. Look closely at verse 6. Samuel looked at Eliab. Look closely at verse 3. You shall anoint the one that I name to you. Samuel already forgot what God told him. God told him, I will tell you who it is. You don't need to look. Did y'all get that? You don't need to look. All you need to do is show up. I will thank you, sister. I will show you. You don't need to do anything. Just show up. Verse 6 seems to imply Sammy is ready to choose already, and he's already said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Get the scene. Prophet Sammy is standing there. All the boys are present and accounted for, and they pass by one by one. The eldest, Eliab, his name means God is father. Now Samuel's ready to choose the king because he's probably got Saul still on the brain. Saul was tall, dark, and handsome. Eliab was tall, dark, and handsome. Eliab looked the part. Saul looked the part of the king, but Saul didn't have the heart of the king. But the Lord warned Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what saints? Heart. Now listen, in this statement, we have fact and exhortation. Fact and exhortation. Fact. Men tend to look at the outward appearance, don't we? Well, he's smart, he's handsome, well-spoken, intelligent, knows a few scripture. Man, this guy make a great preacher. Problem is, we can't see his heart. So we judge how they strike the eye. Fact. Exhortation. God is telling Samuel, your natural inclination is to only judge on the outward appearance, but I can judge the heart, so look to God. Don't be so quick to judge a person on the outward appearance. God said, don't look on the outward appearance or the physical stature. And isn't it true we live in a culture that worships the outward appearance and the physical stature? We live in a culture that worships people with physical stature. We worship how tall, dark, and handsome, lean, and mean people are. We worship how skinny people are. We worship what car people drive. We worship what neighborhood people live in. The magazine racks, have you taken a look at them lately? These magazine racks are destroying young girls. They're hurting their self-image. And on these magazine racks, these young girls, they don't know. Those pictures are Photoshopped. Those people don't look like that. I look at some of them people, oh, she's so pretty. I look at her, she's so ugly. Because I'm going to tell you something, if you saw the raw picture, it would look nothing like that. Y'all ain't hearing me. Nobody looks like anybody nowadays. You don't know who, who's who. <laughs> I'm telling you, you don't know who's I wish I could remember that joke about when somebody got to heaven, they had so much plastic surgery, God didn't know who they were. <laughs> That's the punchline to the... <laughs> 
if you know that story, please tell me after service. I got to I got to have it cuz it's it's hilarious. But nobody looks like anybody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Am I right about it? Nobody knows what anybody looks like anymore and all the plastic surgeons are making a killing. Everybody's getting something done, your nose, and don't get me wrong, I'm not against it. If you're a plastic surgeon, we love you. If somebody's nose is broken, whatever, and you need to fix it, that's great. You know, what's happening is people are getting all of this plastic surgery so that they can change the way they look because they don't like the person that God made. And at the same time, the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, David said, and that my soul knows right well. So you is the way you is because God made you the way you is. And that's the way you need to be. And it's killing the young girls, and these girls are dieting and anorexic and bulimic and all of these things. Don't get me wrong, healthy weight, don't take nothing to the streams, y'all. Get me on the sidewalk and go all crazy. I'm just saying, healthy is what you need to be. And don't look at the magazine racks, because all that's Photoshop, ain't none of that real. And half the people in Hollyweird, they're not who they are. I'm just trying to help you. Say amen. Uh Uh-huh. Noses fixed and foreheads fixed and... uh, Okay. This is probably the most important choice, listen, in Israel's history. Because God, listen, closes the Bible... In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, you can write it down. I am the root and the offspring of David. David's life came through the nation, the root and the offspring. David's life came through the tribe of Judah. David's life came through Ruth and Boaz, the root and the offspring of David. Jesus says in Revelation, I'm the reason for David's existence. And physically in the incarnation, I existed through David. I am the root and the offspring of David. So God is looking for a man, a man after his own heart. Eliab, tall, dark, and handsome, passes by, and although he's good-looking, he's not the one. The next one in verse 8 to pass by is Abinadad, and God said, nope. Verse 9, Shammah passed by. God said, nope, not him either. Verse 10, all the boys passed by Samuel. None of them were chosen. Samuel said, Jesse, is that it? Is that all the boys? And Jesse said, well, there is this one out there with the sheep, the youngest. And Samuel said, bring him in here, and we're not going to sit down and eat until you bring him. So we have this boy out with the sheep. Watch this, unacknowledged by family and unnoticed by man. But he is a nobody to anybody, just a boy out, take, out taking care of the sheep. But interesting, God called David while David was taking care of his sheep. Listen, God calls people while they're doing something. God does not call people when they're doing nothing. I don't know a man of God in a pastoral pulpit. That, that, that was not doing something for the kingdom when God called them. And, and generally, they were being very effective 
and blessed in their ministry when God interrupted their life and called them. That's kind of a marker of how you know you're called. Because it's not like, you know, oh, I hate these people. I'm going to get out of here and go do something else. It was not like that. It's like, man, I love what I'm doing. I, I, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I'm doing what God called me to do. I'm blessed where God has me. And all of a sudden, God says, hey, you, I'm calling you into the ministry. David was out. Are y'all getting this? David was out serving and doing the work of the ministry when God called him. If you're called to shepherd or pastor, then you will be tending sheep. And if you really are a shepherd, then people, then, then people should see sheep following you. I've had people tell me, well, they, they feel called to be a pastor. And I look behind them and I go, where's the sheep? You ain't got no Bible study going. You ain't teaching the fifth graders, you, uh, the fourth graders, the third graders, the babies. You ain't changing poopy diapers, ain't cleaning the toilets, ain't vacuuming the church. You, there's nothing. You're doing nothing. But you're called to be the, a pastor. Is that right? I don't think so. Listen, if you're called to be a shepherd, then I'm going to see sheep following you. Somewhere. Teaching Bible study on jobs somewhere. Doesn't even have to be in church. But that's the way God works. That's the way God moves. David was busy tending the sheep, and that's when God called him. And many times out shepherding those sheep, he heard the voice of God. Now listen, keep, keeping the sheep was a dirty, stinky, smelly servant's job. And this is how we know that Jesse was not wealthy. Because if he was wealthy, he would have had servants keeping the sheep, doing this dirty, stinky, smelly job. So David was keeping the sheep. Keeping the sheep meant you had to think. You had time to think. David would spend a lot of time looking over the sheep and looking at the glory of God's creation. No doubt, while he's out there, he's writing Psalm 119, pardon me, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard and their line has gone out throughout all the earth and their, their words to the end of the world. He probably wrote that while out there tending sheep, writing songs, looking at the glory of God. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemies and their avengers. And when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. No doubt he wrote that while he was out with the sheep. Keeping the sheep took a special heart and a special care. Keeping the sheep meant you had to trust God in the midst of danger. David had to fight off lions and bears and wolves to protect the sheep. David learned to be a shepherd by spending time with the sheep. And can I tell you something? If you're a pastor and you don't like sheep, you should get out of the pastorate. You'll be surprised how many pastors do not like people. 
Is that not the most incongruent thing you have ever heard? How many pastors do not like people? They like to preach. They like to be heard. But they don't like people. They don't like sheep. The pastor should smell like the sheep. The pastor should spend time with the sheep. And yeah, I got it. When you get in a big church, you can't, you know, spend time with everybody. But you know what? Honestly, and just chatting, give me a second. That's why I try, if I can, go out on the walkway after service. I try. Sometimes I don't feel good. Honestly, sometimes I just don't feel good. Sometimes it takes so much energy out of me to preach, I can't even get out there. And sometimes it's just too hot, and I don't want to stand out there. (laughs) You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.